Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hound Opinions. I am your host, Bill Mayeroff. All right, so one of the things I love most about dogs is the sheer number of things they can be taught to do. I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about it? I don't mean the basics, sit, stay, lay down, come. I'm talking about how dogs can be taught to find people lost in the mountains or sniff out fruit someone is trying to smuggle into the country illegally. And then there are service dogs. In the U.S., the Americans with Disabilities Act defines a service dog as dogs that are individually trained to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. Now, if you think that's a pretty broad definition, you're right. Service dogs often have to do a myriad of impressive tasks that aid the lives of their disabled handlers. And my guest this time is Ashley Bravin, an artist, disability advocate, and service dog handler living in Glendale, California. She has a host of chronic illnesses, which she'll tell you about a bit later, and she's been a service dog handler for nearly seven years. She's going to talk about all the tasks her dogs perform, as well as a bit about training service dogs. All right, thanks for tuning in, and let's get to it. Well, Ashley, thank you for joining me on Hound Opinions. Um, so I talked in the intro, um, you know, talked a little bit about, about who you were, and, uh, and I mentioned that you know, you are dealing with a few different chronic illnesses. And so that's kind of where I want to start. I want, if you could, you know, talk about the illnesses you're dealing with, and then we'll get into how um, your, your service dogs help you sort of navigate the world with them. But yeah, start by talking a little bit about, about yourself. Sure. Thank you for having me, Bill. Um, so I kind of started my chronic illness journey back in high school. Um and it developed over time in various different facets. Uh, the first being um, uh, psychiatric disability, which is uh, with a bipolar, very severe form of it that made my life very difficult to live. And then over time, I started developing some pain issues. And it, I mean, it reached a crescendo with uh, fibromyalgia and ME-CFS, um, which are both debilitating um, pain disorders. I, I have a, a rare kidney disease and I, I, I mean, it, it kind of runs the gamut of the whole body and chronic migraines and, and, uh, it, it, it's pretty much everything at, at this point. Okay. Um, and so been a, been a service dog handler for close to close to seven years. Um, so at what point, you know, that that's, not at the beginning of your of your chronic illness journey. You know, you talked about that starting back in back in high school. Um, what was sort of the impetus for you know sort of figuring out that you would need the help of a service dog? Sure. So I did not get a service dog until after I completed university um, and was living on my own. Uh, I didn't I didn't really know about them to be honest. Um, I love dogs my entire life, but that was kind of a piece that I had never explored or been interested in. But um, I was recommended that 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 a service dog, a task trained service dog, could help me with uh, some of some of the issues I was having, uh, and that kind of set the ball in motion. And I did immense amounts of research to understand how that worked, and I had a, um, a doctor more than willing to sign off on it. Okay. And so was it, was it your doctor who suggested that, um, a service dog would be, would be pretty helpful for you? Uh, yes. It was kind of funny because it was simultaneously someone in my life and the doctor like within the same week. So yeah, 
it's both. Okay. Um, was that, I mean, you said you didn't know too much about him. Was it at all difficult to kind of accept that you might need that amount of help? Absolutely. Um, I am an extremely independent person, which is kind of counter to my circumstances. Um, but at the time, um, my uh, my illness what my illnesses were not at the peak that it is now, where it's like, without a doubt, I need a service dog. Um, but but like I wasn't having seizures at the time, like I am now. Um, but I was at a point where I was having trouble reconciling my health situation as a whole. So it just kind of fell into that feeling like I was losing independence um, category. Okay. Um, And so, you know, seven years ago, you know, or a little more, you you make the decision to um, get, you know, to get a service dog. And, you know, your first service dog was Rosie. And... Mm -hmm. Talk about how you found her. So the process for this was kind of interesting because at the time, programs were not accepting new clients or they were so backlogged. So I didn't really have a choice, not to mention I was applying for a psychiatric service dog at the time, one that would help me a lot with my PTSD and bipolar. And uh, that's kind of a difficult ground for a lot of trainers um but i i'm the type of person that looks deep really deep into research and i found a uh, animal behaviorist to help me select a dog from a shelter that would be a good what we can call prospects for becoming a service dog okay and so what was it about rosie that ultimately um led you to decide that she was she was the right candidate so i had gone through i can't i lost count of how many dogs i saw and then i had several evaluated by him um but what rosie passed something called the Bouillard test which is a temperament test to see how um dogs will react to different stimuli and it's really great for service dogs because it's like you drop something near them you you can trip near them and see if they're if they're spooking or if, if um, they're aggressive, it's, she passed it with flying colors the first time and then some. Cool. So that, that's like a really good sign that maybe you have a prospect in front of you. Okay. Um, and, you know, seven years ago, um, you know, what tasks did you know at the time that she, that, your future service dog would have to do for you. Yeah. Um, it's funny because when you think of a service dog, you think of, Oh, well they do medical alert for seizures or, or diabetes. Um, but the reality is, is that there's a lot more to it. Uh, Rosie was specifically task trained to help me mitigate a lot of the symptoms I had. Also, she could go retrieve medications, I, I was in a two-story loft at the time, and sometimes I just, I couldn't get about, out of bed at all. So she'd retrieve medications. Um, she would do uh, hypervigilance uh, tasks, which are to cover my, the back of me while, while I'm in a line, or uh, the front of me to space myself out from people, uh, for example. Dude, but the list is huge. Okay. Um, and so you, you selected Rosie, and so Rosie, um, you told me was owner trained. So you really were the one 
um, teaching her, you know, how to do everything or, or how did that, how did that work? Well, I did a lot of research before I even got her, but um, what I call her is owner trained with an asterisk because when I hit a wall or I was confused or didn't understand how to do something, I consulted trainers. Um, I think a big thing of getting into the service dog world is that you need to have uh, kind of a humility that you can't do everything and that you're not a trainer overnight. I had experience with dogs, but I didn't know how to train a service dog. So um, I lucked out in that she was incredibly amenable to the training. She is a border collie mix. So they're really um, ready to go. Gotcha. Um, So, yeah. Okay. Um, So you mentioned that, you know, she is from, she is from a rescue and, um, I don't, I don't know sort of the, the kind of, kind of specifics of the, of the debate, but I know there is, um, you know, I know it's, it's sort of a hot topic in the service dog world. The idea of, you know, a rescue dog versus, you know, a dog from a breeder. Um, and can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, why there is so much, um, you know why there why there is there's so much arg- there's so much argument over you know sort of which is better and which is the better choice absolutely it's a hot topic because you know rescuing i i do not regret rescuing rosie but at the time i was capable of handling the training i was capable of managing it i didn't have the money at the time for for a purebred now my current service dog is a purebred very highly researched, you know, it's versus Rosie. I, you know, I had the face value of the test. The issue being is that um, what you have to look at is what are you willing to risk to do this? Uh, because I'm very happy with my choice with Rico. And if I was going to get another dog again, I would, I would get a, uh, a purebred dog because you have in the, in the idea a clean slate or you should have when you get a purebred puppy. Okay. It's just a lot more work. Gotcha. Um, how old was Rosie when, uh, when you, when you got her? She was eight months old. Oh, okay. So So she wasn't, she was, she she was was old. She was not a puppy or not like a little baby, but she was still pretty young. She was young enough that she would, uh, work with the training that we had to do. I didn't okay. want an older dog because that you're 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 dealing with possible, especially with the rescue, if they've had life trauma or things like that that can bring up later. Right, um, and then how tough was it to find sort of the the trainer that you had to sort of be you know your backup when you would hit when you would hit a wall? They were different trainers actually. Okay. Um, I looked for trainers who who specifically. Uh, had accolades in certain areas like for example i wanted to work on her recall so i worked with a a trainer who had a recall training and then i wanted to work okay. on specific like small items so i okay. looked for individuals gotcha um and i mean how long a process was that you know before you got her to a point where you know she could essentially be you know, kind of working full time. To be honest, she was ready to be working pretty full time from very early on. Uh, she was uh, 
given up at the shelter for having destroying a man's house and okay you know in a strange way that energy funneled perfectly into her working career though i didn't really uh consider her fully trained until she was two okay and what like what was the milestone that, that sort of got you to that point um, there's something called the public access test, which is okay. a test that trains your that that tests your your service dog in different fields. She had done that several times. She already had her uh, canine good citizen CGC title. Um, but I was very anxious about calling my dog finished. So I sure. I had I had flown with her and lived somewhere else. And I think I just had a hard time re acknowledging something was finished. Okay. And I know you said, you know, you didn't have it before Rosie. You didn't really have experience with service dogs. You didn't know a ton about them. You know, you'd had dogs when you were, when you were younger and all that. Um, you know, did you have to like sort of change any of your own perceptions about how dogs operate in order to, to work with Rosie well? Yeah, I think going into it, I felt like I, you know, she can't be on, on, on duty all the time and I have to take breaks and things like that. But uh, she, as her own individual dog, I can't say that for every dog, um, loved working. That's the exact thing she wanted to do every day. So there was that. And I think my perceptions mostly or difficulties was around going places. I was always afraid businesses were going to deny me based on experience. Um, and that was a huge, um, stumbling block for me and still is honestly okay and I, def I definitely want to get into that um a little bit later you know sort of the obstacles of you know life um you know sort of in the world with with um with a service dog but talk a little bit about some of the specific tasks that you know rosie and and that rico you know that they that both of them kind of do on a day-to-day -day basis i know you mentioned you know getting medication and, you know, and the hypervigilance, what are some other things that, that are part of their regular jobs? Sure. So both dogs are considered to be um, multi-purpose service dogs, meaning they have more than one function. Gotcha. Uh, Rosie was psychiatric and medical alert and Rico is very little psychiatric, but mostly medical alert. And he will eventually will be mobility um, it, on a smaller, on a smaller scale than people think what mobility means. Uh, some of the tasks they do, uh, Rosie alerts that I'm going to have a migraine up to 30 minutes before it happens. Wow. Um, so she'll start licking me incessantly. And if I don't pay attention, she will go to someone else and let them know <laughs> and uh, tell on me. Um, <laughs> it's hilariously, Rico does the same thing because he was raised with Rosie. <laughs> right. Uh, so if I don't act on his alerts, he will tattletale. Um, but Rico does seizure alert and we're, we're assuming he's dysautonomia alert. Um, he's learning migraine, uh, and like he has a, but he had propensity for it. Like he was able to do that from out of the gate as a puppy. I developed seizures wow. right around the time that he was brought in and he, he, we just, uh, tailored them. Okay. Um, and so that that's something else I wanted to wanted to ask you about. You know, you've had you've had Rosie now for you know close to close to seven years, and um, in that time, sort of your needs have 
evolved and the tasks that Rosie, you know, has to do seem to seem to have evolved. Like, is that, is that, was that difficult or was she always willing to kind of pick up new things? It was more difficult for me than it was for her. She just found it as new things to do. However, when I developed the seizures, she shut down entirely. She couldn't handle what was happening there at the time. They were very violent uh, and lasted a long time um, where it's, it's less these days, but uh, you know, the resilience of the dogs are based on the environment that they're in. Right. A lot. Okay. Um, what for, for Rosie, at least um, because, because she's the one you've been working with longer. What, you know, of the, of the tasks that she regularly has to do, what did you find was sort of the most difficult one for her to pick up? The most difficult one is migraine was, was unbelievably easy. She was doing it before I even knew she was doing it. Um, which is kind of how sometimes people realize the dogs are migra- or alert dogs. Um, I'd say her hardest one was to leave me. It's, it's not really a task, but it's, 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 a, a a downstay from a from a distance when she was really connected to everything that was happening to me and wanted to be with me she does dpt which is deep pressure therapy if there's issues but if i'm in a environment for example if i'm in the doctor's office and i'm getting injections i need her to sit across the room and not touch me um and that was hard for her in the beginning uh she's fine with it now she just sleeps through it gotcha okay um and so how did you how did you even realize that Rosie was alerting to your migraines? You know, you said she was doing it before you even started teaching her to do it. How did how did you figure that out? And what did that what did that look like? Well, at the time I really didn't know much about medical alert dogs. If I'm honest, I was pretty new into the service dog community as a whole as a whole. And what ended up happening was is I was she was would always look me incessantly and it would really be really very obnoxious, but not all the time is that random times. And I'm like, Oh, am I, is, does she like my lotion or something? I was with another um, service dog handler at the time. And she's like, have you noticed that she's looking you like very intently? And I, I said, Oh, I don't know. I never looked into it. And she goes, time it. And so I, what times I just did a stopwatch from when she did it. And sure enough, every time she did it, a migraine happened within 30 minutes, usually around 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, what do you understand is is actually happening there when she alerts to, to a migraine ahead of it actually happening? Sure. So our bodies emit an immense amount of chemicals all day for different reasons. We have, uh, we have uh, um, stress, uh, migraine, seizure, whatever. But there are chemical reactions that happen before these things happen. And that's where the dogs come into play, where they can expect it. I mean, we even have like cancer alert dogs now. Right. I, I'm not sure if that's the correct terminology, but where they can smell the cancer. It, it's it's a big thing about scent. Okay. And so how do you go from, um, you know, noticing that it's happening, you know, noticing that she's licking you intently, you know, 15 to 30 minutes before a migraine happens to actually like making that a thing that she, that she can do, you know, that she knows she's supposed to do. 
So it's called shaping. Um, you know that they have this exi- existing behavior and you want to make it what you want it. So um, I would, it when she would do that, I would create this action of going and get, getting medication. For example, for migraines with her, I had this abortive medication that I'm supposed to take. As soon as something starts happening, I spoke with my neurologist and he's like, if she's letting you know, take it when she, when, when it happens, because they were very, they were, they were very bad. Um, so you just start, I, I use a lot of uh, treat training and very excited voice of like, when she starts doing that, I'll give her food. And then I showed her the behavior of getting the medication and pretending to take something. Cause I wasn't always sure if this was the thing, but okay. it ended up being it. Cool. Um, all right. Well, we will be talking more with Ashley after a quick break. Dear music lover, think about your favorite recording artist of all time. Now think about their best album. Now for the record, I totally agree. It's their best album. No, no, no. Not that one. That's overproduced. But it has their most honest songwriting. These are the kind of amazing arguments we have all the time on The Chartographers. It's a music-loving podcast for music-loving people where we bring in a guest to rank a musician's entire discography from worst to first. One week, it's Joni Mitchell. The next week, it's Metallica. And the next week, it could be Kendrick Lamar. So tune in. We've done over 60 different discography rankings, each one better than the last. Available wherever you get your podcast so keep on listening because you know that will be all right and uh we are back with with ashley and we are talking about service dogs and so you know we've kind of gone through sort of sort of the tasks that um that rosie was trained to do and a little bit about how you how you trained her and um so now there is now there's Rico. And for, first off, how old is Rico now? Rico's about a year and seven or eight months. Okay. And and you got him he was he was what, eight or nine weeks or something like that? Yeah. Okay. So you've had him since he was just a little little itty bitty thing. Um and so you know, you you said when um you know, when you were first when you were first looking for a service dog and you know, you ultimately wound up with Rosie. Um, you said there were just so many dogs that you, that you went through and you saw, was it the same, was it the same with Rico or was Rico kind of right there presented to you? He was absolutely not presented to me. Uh, what ended up happening was, is that we realized that I was going, my mobility needs were changing. Um, I was, I was very sick. I could barely get out of bed and Rosie was not, uh, Rosie was not handling the seizures at all. Um, she, she, she shut down actually. Um, right now she's fine, but before it was very problematic. And we realized that, um, especially having a border collie was not a good idea to have that involved with really difficult medical situations because they're very, they, they touch on things. Um, so what ended up happening is, is we started the research for a breeder and it's kind of different for exactly the opposite process. We, looked at a ton of breeders and you're looking at, especially because I I had mobility needs now, um, you're looking at OFAs and, uh, pen hips, which are, are tests on dogs to see their structure and, um, genetic testing, because I could not take the risk of whatever dog I was getting washing, which means it it can't be a service dog for whatever reason. It's still an option. It's still a possibility, but it's my idea was it was best to stack the odds in my favor as much as I could. 
Got it. So at okay. the same time that we're getting Rico, we also brought aboard a trainer simultaneously. Got it. So you knew from from the jump that the process was going to be different from um, what happened with Rosie? A hundred percent different. Okay. I was more prepared this time. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I asked earlier about, you know, whether it was, whether it was tough for you to acknowledge initially that you might need the help of a service dog. Um, was it, was it similarly difficult to sort of acknowledge that your needs were changing and that maybe Rosie couldn't, couldn't meet those needs as much as she had been before? Absolutely. This is a different kind of heartbreak, which was that uh, Rosie was having a harder and harder time being around me more at home than out. But, and I realized, you know, I have this really deep, you always end up having a very deep partnership with your first service dog most of the time. So the idea of having another, it's another one, it was, it's the idea of replacing, having another dog to replace them is very difficult. Also, like my, my health was just going down the drain at that time. So I was having a hard time with a lot of it. Got it. Okay. Um, I mean, so, so you knew, you know, as soon as your, it sounds like you knew kind of as soon as your mobility needs started changing, you, it seems like you were pretty, pretty sure that Rosie wasn't going to be able to sort of take up that mantle. She wasn't. And also I really wanted to time this just right because she has this, this incredible ability to do migraine alert. Um, I really wanted the next dog to be able to do that. So I had to get a, a puppy within the amount of time that Rosie would still be tasking. So there's a bit of a transference situation that goes on and it absolutely did. He picked up a lot of stuff very quickly from her. Cool. Um, do you think that um, it would have taken Rico longer to learn all the, all these tasks if he didn't have Rosie around? 100%. Like yeah. for closing drawers, he saw Rosie doing it and then he started doing <laughs> it. Like he, he just, he's a at, at that puppy age they're like they're, they mimic everything right so it, it ended up being the best thing i could have done okay and was there um was there ever a moment when you were unsure that rico was the right choice um he was a real mean puppy okay <laughs> so, so he's very bitey and i was and i was i couldn't even interact with him because my I was in so much pain, a like a brush against my skin would be excruciating. So Got it. imagine a, a bitey puppy. <laughs> right. But okay. apart, from, apart from the very early months, no, he, once he figured out his groove, it was kind of, it was pretty good from there on. Okay. Um, and so now, you know, talked a little bit about, about this before, um, you know, so now you're, you're sort of in the process of, retiring Rosie and you know and you're sort of it, it, is that is that a pretty gradual process are you sort of gradually decreasing her load of of tasks over time yes uh I would never rip that from her uh without a very serious reason because she this is what she loves to do um I she she comes out every once in a while maybe once a week or less um just so that she can 
you know, feel a part of it. Now, the reality is, is that with retirement, there's a lot of talk about like, oh, well, you have to hard retire your dogs or whatever, unless there's a health reason. Um, in my opinion, like she's still a service dog. Um, okay. Because she tasks better for the migraines than Rico does. Got so it. on high mi- migraine days, I might be using her. Okay. Um, and how has she um, dealt with the sort of slowly decreasing workload? She she gets very upset. She'll stand by the door, and I have a rollator, and she'll run in front of it and try to bar- barricade the door so that oh. like, I put the leash on her instead of him. Like, she still clearly has a lot of drive, which is why I'm going to uh, put her into uh, therapy dog training now that that's starting up through the pandemic. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's going to be a, a pretty easy transition for her? Absolutely. Uh, one of the, uh, you asked before and I forgot, one of the sticking points with her is that she loves absolutely everyone uh, and not touching or interacting with other dogs, was, other people was very hard in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I remember even, even the first time, the first time you and I met um, all those, all those years ago when you had, when you had Rosie and, you know, I remember very clearly you, you know, making the distinction like between kind of work time and fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was, I was impressed back then with sort of how clearly she was able to make that distinction in, in her head. Um, and so I want to, I want to kind of shift gears um, a little bit and um, go back to something we, we talked about a little bit earlier. And that is um, issues of access and you know even even you know even 7 years ago our understanding of service dogs and what they are and what they do and how they operate is was very different from the way we sort of understand things now and so you know talk about some of the difficulties you had especially when you first started going out in the world with Rosie and you needed to you know get her into places where maybe dogs wouldn't normally be allowed or welcomed. Um, you know, what, what did you have to kind of deal with at the beginning? It's funny because back when I first started, I had less access issues than I do now, but I think that has to do with the fact that I'm in the state of California and there's a lot of people who have fraudulent service dogs that have horrible behavior. There's been this uptick of people doing that. Um, and it kind of ruins the experience and the, our ability to move around in the world if, okay. if this is happening. Okay. And I mean, can you, I, I would imagine you can tell pretty instantly if someone is, is trying to pass off just, you know, a dog that hasn't had any, any service dog training as sort of a service dog. I try to withhold judgment, honestly, because sometimes okay. even service dogs have bad days or they're in training, which uh, sure. at least in this state, uh, in training service dogs are covered to go out. So obviously there have some new people out. But if it's egregious, like they're they're pooping on the floor or or like scream barking, right. uh, you're going to get us. It's it's whether or not there's a, they're a service dog, they should be removed from the, the area. Right. Um, so so. You know, when have you found, you know, have you found even even in more recent years that you've run into, you know, access issues and, and where, you know, where have they sort of happened? I, I don't need you to call out, you know, specific places or anything oh, no. like that. But like, <laughs> but like, you know, 
talk about talk about some of the times when you know maybe you've run into resistance to Rosie coming into a place or Rico for that matter. Um, yeah, it's honestly I used to live in an area where there were no service dogs, and I had less access issues than I do here in a city uh, where there's problems. Um, that's where like there's a pre there's an existing belief of what service dogs are because of a bad experience by a business owner uh, i'd it. say restaurants are the worst okay and um, and um housing can be tough too got it um and the, the correct me correct me if i'm wrong but my my understanding is that when it comes to access the the only questions they can ask about your service dog are like what tasks are they you know, are they trained to perform, right? Yeah, it's, it's, is that a service dog and what tasks are they trained to perform? Got it. Okay. I am going, anybody listening who's expecting that that's going to happen, it does not, it either doesn't happen at all or that it's incredibly invasive questions. Okay. Um, so talk about, talk about some of the, some of the invasive questions, you know, because, you know, the question, especially what tasks is the dog trained to do? That's a, that's a fairly broad question and it can be kind of open to interpretation and people can decide sort of how detailed they want to get about it. Um, exactly. and so, you know, what are, what are, what are some of the more invasive versions of that question that you've come across? Uh, the what's wrong with you one is great. Um, I get that. I think I get that less and less of a judgmental approach because I have a mobility device. Got I have it. a rollator that's also a wheelchair, like a transport chair. Right. So it's pretty obvious that I'm not going to be faking this because this is a, a pain to carry around. Right. Okay. Um, and so when I'm going to kind of shift, shift gears back, um, you know, talk more about the idea of retiring a service dog. Um, and first of all, first of all, um, you mentioned that, that there's sort of a, a, this idea in the service dog world that you need to really hard, hard retire a service dog. And that means I'm guessing just completely stopping their, their work. Yeah. Well, it's, it's based on circumstance. Like if your dog is too ill to perform right. or is, is showing signs of hip dysplasia, a hundred percent, you need to pull them. Sure. Um, but if like for Rosie, she has no particular reason that she needs to retire, especially because I, my seizures are, are pretty con more controlled and I'm having less, more problems passing out and she's fine with that. Um, there's not like a, an absolute behavioral need that she needs to, okay. but, but, um, in the service tech world, they really like to, to be very intense about labels. Uh, so if Got you it. have labeled your dog as a retired dog and you bring them out, there's going to be an issue. There may be an issue, um, which is okay. why I have not labeled her as retired okay she's more of like phasing out in a back okay because, got it uh, yeah if rico hurts himself i i can't i can rarely go out without a service dog these days sure. uh, for all the conditions so okay how has your relationship with rosie changed since you started that process it was very hard because rosie was there with me during some major trauma that happened in my life and she was just my everything and so right. the idea of bringing another dog in i felt like i was failing her um but rosie in seeing rosie enjoys rico rico's company after a while 
Um, right. She, <laughs> she, uh, she, oh, she hated him as a puppy. But um, uh, after a while, now they're best friends. Like they sleep butt to butt with each other. Like it, they're great. Um, so I feel more comfortable. I do. It does kind of break my heart when I leave the apartment, but uh, I do a treat scatter when I leave. So she's like running after food and she's fine. Okay. Um, and was there ever, you know, before this point, you know, and I know you said, you know, she, she was having trouble, you know, with Rosie was having trouble, um, handling your seizures at, mm-hmm. at the beginning and all that. And that's sort of when, you know, this process of, of retiring her, her started and everything. And you decided you needed to bring in, bring in Rico. Was there ever a point before that, when you were worried that she was, that she was going to, you know, she was sort of getting to that point where she was, she was kind of done with it. Um, I kind of felt like, I mean, now she's seven. Um, it different, it's different breeds, different, uh, uh, tasks and just different circumstances that could cause a retirement. I felt like she was a little slowing down. Um, okay. but hilariously, since Rico has been here, she's perked right back up again, which okay. is not my plan. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I do think she needs another job if she's not going to have hers, which is would be therapy work, which I, I can already tell you she'd excel at. Yeah. And what what form is that therapy work going to take, at least? Or how do you envision it? Um, I spend so much of my time in the medical offices anyway, near hospitals. I figured I'd go visit patients um, cool. or, or do work with children. She loves kids. Um, Got it. We've actually presented in front of an elementary school about service dogs. Uh, with her and i mean i think that might have been the best day of her life oh really yeah oh that's cool that's cool um yeah it sounds like she is she is definitely looking forward to to sort of a second career right um and how much does you know the the stuff that you've taught her over the years i mean is there is there any like overlap in terms of just basic skills um that that can translate into therapy work Absolutely. It's, it's the skills, the more of behavior, um, okay. which is restraint, um, right. only doing things when I asked and uh, being gentle, um, all of which she is. Uh, Rico's more of a bull in the china shop situation, <laughs> but uh, he, she, she's, she'd be fine at it. There is a test or, or some kind of training that goes along with it. I haven't really looked into it too much, but I don't think we'd have a problem. It's just more of like with COVID restrictions of where we're going to be with that. Right. Um, and I should ask, you know, since, since you mentioned COVID, how has the pandemic sort of affected, first of all, first of all, Rico's ongoing training mm-hmm. and, you know, how has that affected sort of Rosie's kind of upkeep of her, of her skills, you know, because people were going, you know, you and, and other people are going out less. And, you know, I know you were still going to doctor's appointments and everything, but in general, people are just going out less. And so how did, how did COVID affect, affect both of them? Well, I'm glad you bring that up because this is a big, a big issue that people are experiencing right now. But, um, Rosie, she was settled and she had seven years of experience doing, doing her work. It wasn't going anywhere. Some For some dogs, when they went back into the world, they had a massive amounts of anxiety and were became reactive. But she, it was like it was a year a year ago, you know, whenever, okay. or however long ago. But for Rico, bringing a service dog prospect in training up during the pandemic was probably the worst things that could have happened for, I mean, 
uh, like actual like program programs suspended their programs during this time. Oh, wow. Because it is it makes it infinitely harder to train a dog because they're not seeing people's faces with the masks. Right. They are not going out or interacting with anybody. Everything's things are empty. And then all of a sudden now that we're, 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 you know, out of coming out of lockdown and like experiencing crowds of people, it terrifies the dogs. A lot sure. of I being really connected in the service dog world. Uh, a lot of dogs washed over this. Did they really? Oh my gosh. So many, so many. I mean, like I started with Rico around a lot of other people and right. I just saw one every day wash oh, wow. and I was ter- terrified that that would happen to us, but I had the support of my trainer and I think that's really what got us through. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of the last thing I wanted to, wanted to ask about. So getting back to the differences between sort of how Rosie and Rico were trained, you know, Rosie being mostly owner trained and Rico, you know, working, you know, just very closely with, with a trainer kind of from, from day one. Um, and so like how much, how much time does Rico spend with, you know, with you and the trainer together, you know, and how, how does that compare to the amount of time that like Rosie spent with you and the trainer? Right. So Rosie's amount of experience with the trainer was just very in the beginning until she passed the CGC and he retired. I was planning on spending okay. time more time with him. Uh, and then just consults. I mean, very little, but to be fair, like you can't go into that thinking like that's how it's going to happen. I right out. I got the jackpot on that one, both with her and that she was consistent and everything else. Now for Rico, we met with my trainer three times a week for an hour, uh, which is intense um yeah not to mention we had homework to go do things go desensitize ourselves to things when he was a puppy um it was it was vastly different got it how how did his puppy brain sort of handle that because like when i'm working with with people and their puppies and and obviously the type of training i do is is very different from service dog training but when i'm working with with people who have little puppies i mean I generally will suggest that like they do sort of at no more than like one hour long training session a week. And then, you know, I give the, I give them homework and and things to do between, between sessions. But like, that's even that hour is a lot for a puppy to handle, you know, over the course of, over the course of a week. So how do you, you know, Rico is meeting with this trainer three times a week for, for an hour. Like that's a lot for him. How do you keep him, how do you keep his little brain from exploding? <laughs> yeah. So to be, to be honest though, a lot of our, our training sessions were just training the person. So it was training, it was training me, which is like, I, I really do believe in that mentality, which is that um, a lot of what you do in unintentionally will interfere with their training. So okay. um, my trainer was working with us for most of the time. And then at the end would uh, work with Rico. So while he had settled down and everything, Got it. So it was not intensive, but an hour each day training. Now, today, these days, um, uh, the, it, it has been, but he can handle that. Um, sure. But he is, uh, he, he has been deemed fully trained by her. Um, so I'm going to be seeing her less and just connecting with her again when we start mobility training, once he gets all of his scans. And everything. Okay. So, so final, final thing, um, you know, we talked, earlier, um, you know, about sort of, 
you know, you had to, especially when you, when you first got Rosie, you had to learn to, to trust her and you had to learn, you know, to, you know, to accept the fact that like you needed, you needed her help was, did you find that you had to go through that same process with Rico or was it easier sort of the second time around? It was different. Um, okay. My health was so bad at that time. Like in the beginning, like I had health problems, but not to this degree. And right. For me, I felt like I a, was betraying re- a Rosie. Right. And I didn't want a dog um, because I was I didn't, couldn't even take care of myself. It was it was very bad. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't alone in that. I would never recommend someone do that if they're in that situation and they can't actually take care of the dog. Right. Like the dog's needs can't be met. But um, it was it was just like it was more of like an accepting that I would have to be passing the torch. That was the big problem. Um, okay. There was no kind of question about whether I needed a service. Right. Dog. It was really bad. But um, uh, yeah, it was I was I was hung up on on that perceived betrayal. <laughs> OK, um, well, thank you so much for for being a part of this. Um, where can where can people find find your work online sure um i have a a disability advocacy and service dog instagram called in sickness and uh in sickness and in dog sorry (laughs) in sickness and in dog um and that's where we post about our training sessions and uh disability uh issues access issues things like that so Okay. And if, if people want to find your artwork? Oh, uh, my, the other Instagram is Ashley Bravin. Okay. Well, Ashley Bravin, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for checking out Hound Opinions. I'm Bill Mayeroff, and I'm the owner and chief canine officer of Big Wags Chicago Dog Training and Dog Walking. If you like what you hear, I'd be really grateful if you could give Hound Opinions a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Big Wags Chicago online at bigwagschicago.com. And I'm at Big Wags Chicago, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. If you have a dog question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, or if you just want to say hi, email podcast at bigwagschicago.com. Thanks. <laughs>